The bottom line is he was sitting as a sad sack in some dark ass castle ready to cash it all in when she showed up. And right. it's the fact and it's been documented. And he's like, shit. He should have recognized her hype girl when he had her. Like, come on, man. Honest to God. History. I'd like to follow me down the rabbit hole. History. I'd like to frankly. I want to know. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Hilf. History. I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody. <laughs> oh, dear listener. Oh, you two may have looked around recently and noticed everything fucking sucks. Melting, ice caps, mass shootings, nuclear proliferation, World War III cooking. I mean, what the hot hell is going on? Is this the end of the fucking world? Okay, I've asked myself that too. And the best answer I have is the best answer anyone will ever be able to give you. And it's this. Probably not. <laughs> Almost definitely no. It's not the end of the fucking world. Now... Even if we suddenly made peace with one another and became good stewards of our planet, there's asteroids and fault lines and the sun has an expiration date, so... But today, during your lifetime, probably not the end of the world. In times that suck as bad as these, however, when one's spirit is fractured and you dare think that the end of the fucking world might not be so bad, looking back on history can give some comfort. A lesson, maybe... A context, probably. Or sometimes just a shitstorm that was so fucking tragic it makes your current situation feel comparatively tolerable. Our hilf today, Joan of Arc. Now this bad bitch rode up near the end of a war that had already lasted a hundred years. And she flipped the table of historic events in ways that ripple to this day. She was a peasant, she was illiterate, and she was 14. Come on, join me and my guest actress and improviser Lauren Pritchard as we tell Joan's tragic tale and drink two whole bottles of champagne. <laughs> Let's get started. Oh, are you so excited? I'm excited and nervous because I'm a fangirl. It's weird to be your friend and also be like, I can't believe I'm doing this podcast. I love it so much. Don Brody. <laughs> It makes, it curls my toes. It makes me clench my hands. I do like baby hands. Like mm -hmm. I can't stand it because I am a huge fan of you. So um, mm -hmm. I feel the exact same way. And just so you know what a big deal this is. So I don't know if you know this. Like in real life, I'm a dirty, filthy sailor. But in my entertainment world, I don't do um, anything dirty or off color. I don't generally swear on stage. But I'm making a very nice exception for this show because oh. I'm like, oh, this can go ahead and drop down into my Google search. I don't care. It's such an important show oh, that everyone God. needs to hear about. And yes. I, that means the world to me. Now, my friend Lauren Pritchard, she is an improviser, Second City, Comedy Sports, Acme, UCB, just to name a few, and a Disney regular yeah. stuck in the middle Gamer's Guide. And Disney, of course, is not the period on this credit. You, uh, TV, Modern Family, True Blood, How I Met Your Mother, Bill Maher, Jimmy Kimmel, Chelsea Lately, Insecure on HBO. That is not an exhaustive list. But did I miss, like, a favorite? 
or like a most recent? Um, I think my favorite is Mad TV because that was kind of life changing oh, for me for sure. Um, and one of your Minneapolis friends, Mo Collins, Mo is on Collins, that. yeah. Um, but I think that one for me was life changing because I grew up my entire life dreaming of being on a late night sketch show, SNL or Mad TV. I watched them religiously, and then. To end the original series, season 14, I got to join the cast. Ugh. And it was literally life-changing. Like, it has changed everything and was just, oh, gosh, talk about imposter syndrome. I was so yeah. nervous every day. I was like, oh, God, they're going to find out that I don't know. Oh, God, I'm so scared. And it was just amazing. And I wish I could go back and talk to that person now and be like, just chill, girl, and enjoy the ride. You can mm -hmm. hang. Tell me how that job came about. It's actually a crazy story. I um, lived alone. I was at my rock bottom. I was, you know, in the three hundies and not feeling great about myself. Very single, very poor, very broke. And um, I got rats in my apartment because our landlord died and just stopped taking care of everything. The foundation didn't. <laughs> he stopped taking care of everything after he died. What, a, what an asshole. <laughs> Lazy landlord. <laughs> he died in a plane crash on his 99th birthday and he was flying the plane. Oh my God. Was yeah. he alone in the plane? No. Who got in the plane with a 99-year-old pilot on his he, birthday, you he dummy? He was Gerald Ford pilot he was very famous for flying he owned our buildings and then he took down friends and family with him so those families sued his family so therefore they lost all of their apartments oh. and so that was we were in this liquidation process and rats just moved in they're like hey, we're going down the ship and um so i had to go to the hospital because i was covered in rat mites i got rat mites and rats were all over it was oh terrible God. and um I was living literally in a hotel for a few weeks, and my friend, I wrote articles. I was writing blogs about it. And my friend was yeah. like, you're a really good writer. You should try to write for Mad TV. We were accepting submissions. And another friend said, you should just come audition for us. So when I went to audition for Mad TV, I literally was coming with the clothes off my back from a hotel. Oh, my God. Clothes that I bought at Walgreens because I didn't have any clothes because most of them were full of rat mites. And I brought my little guitar, and I went through 11 callbacks <sighs> to get there. But I had the courage and courageousness of someone who had nothing to lose. I was like, I'm basically homeless. I don't have any money, and I'm, there's no way they're going to hire a plus size girl like me. I'm a little long in the tooth already for a sketch show. They're not going to hire me. So I was like, got nothing to lose. Let's just have fun. And I never have that. <laughs> Total abandon. No. Complete abandon. It was crazy. And every time there was like one guy in the room and then two guys and three. And then by the final callback, I'm in an um, amphitheater in Fox, which <gasps> is filled with executives and oh fancy God. suits. And I'm on a stage and I just never thought I'd get it. But it was life changing as far as like it kind of just takes that next level when you're, you know, when you're a regular on a network show. It's oh. like, okay. Okay. Yeah. Lauren and I, the job that we do together regularly Hello. is at Universal Studios Hollywood, the entertainment capital of L.A. Yes. And we are in the New York windows, which I think everyone agrees is the most coveted job in the theme park. We are on second floor windows out a brownstone, New York style, Brooklyn. It is... 1967 kind of all the time we moved here when the dodgers moved from new york to la and just the world's built up around us and we play stella uh, her husband stanley or neighbors and sister we just kind of wrote whatever's needed but the bottom line is in a shift at work you open up the window you lean out the window and you have the general theme park going population mm -hmm. and one of the best improvisers in the world and about 15 minutes to just go for it. Yeah. And then you get paid. Yeah. Lauren brought two bottles of champagne. Because I'm not messing around. We got us a wedge of brie. Mm -hmm. We have two flavors of waffle cut French fries, mm -hmm. truffle, and non-truffle, I don't know what you call them regular, <laughs> and a box of croissant. Mm -hmm. In front of me, she is wearing an homage mm -hmm. to armor, a sparkly, beautiful silver armor. So very French. It's because the hilf 
of this episode is Joan of Arc. <laughs> she's a hill. She's like the hill. Am I right? I was a little intimidated going into this one mm -hmm. because she's so fucking cool. And I didn't know much. I know nothing about Joan of Arc. I even wore my little baby bang tonight until I got too sweaty just trying to honor her. Tell me why you love Joan of Arc. Well, I will say my knowledge of Joan of Arc is whatever I learned in school as a child and then Bill and Ted. Right. Like she was in Bill and Ted prominently and that's probably the biggest education I got of her. I've not seen any other movies. I didn't study on purpose for this. Yes. But what I find fascinating is the amount of bravery that she had. Mm. Like the um, she is Mulan style bravery going in like I'm just going to be a dude and fight. So the, what I know about her is like dressed as a dude so she can keep fighting for what she believed in for her country. And what, what she didn't have to. She didn't have to at all. She's gone, just been a chick somewhere and like made yeah. some butter somewhere right. on the hillside. I'm sure they had a job for you. Yeah, sure, like making babies or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead, she's like, no, no, I'm gonna go fight, and I'm, I'm gonna do everything I can to fight. Which is mm. like, wow. Mm. Okay, I do everything I can to get on the couch and sleep. <laughs> so. And and but it is a lot. I mean, sometimes yeah. it takes a lot out of you. Um, I cannot wait to fuck this history. Um, but before we do, as you have brought all of this divineness, I want you, please, in honor of Saint Joan to pop that bottle of champagne for us. It's actually French, which is very exciting. Oh, I did it. Should I do some ASMR yeah, pouring? Yeah, yeah, Just... yeah, Ooh. Oh, Don't God. get it on your armor. <laughs> Don't get it on your armor, Joan. I, I promise. Oh, and she amazing. even brought little, um, what are these, what are they called? Flutes? Flutes. Oh, yeah. Listen to bubbles. Oh, très bien. To you. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Clunk. <laughs> I should warn the listeners. Uh, I know that Dawn has a pool and a hot tub, and I was like, just in case we end up just putting our feet in the hot tub tonight, I'm gonna bring these poolside safe flutes. God, you're good. Do you have like a Ziploc of medications in your purse? Uh, oh, you need to know. I have a Ziploc of everything in my purse. I have I have Mary Poppins' mom bag. <laughs> you need anything. You could name anything, and I probably have it. Um, cough drops. Yes. Thumbtacks. Um, I do, I do. I have technically have a thumbtack situation in there. It's, um, I, I bring little, uh, spare buttons from the, um, in case my husband loses a button and those could work as a thumbtack. Earplugs. Yes. Dope. No, but I do in my picnic basket <laughs> at home. <laughs> Just in case. Just in case. We got our champagne in hand. I'm ready. I'm ready. And you're ready. I'm so excited. Oh my God. <laughs> Let's fuck Joan of Arc. Here's her baseball card. Okay. 15th century French teenager peasant girl. Claims God and a series of angels tell her she will save France and how to. She takes this to the king of France who takes her in. She leads his army to incredible victories until she's captured by the English and burned at the stake as a heretic. Just like my teenage years. So Joan of Arcadia with Amber Tamlin wasn't too far off as far as the whole God talking to her thing. Correct. But I cannot wait to hear your thoughts on that because as I was thinking about this, I was like, did God talk to her? She's really one of three. So I want to hear about that. This is the question that, that has been attached to Joan of Arc from the very beginning. She is one of those figures that they wrote and discussed almost as much about her when she was alive as we have since. 
That's amazing. Lot. This is your second female teenage celebrity history yes, because of Mary Shelley, too. Yes, it is. You are exactly right. I technically will include some of those sluts from the Salem Witch Trials. They were beard. They were misguided. They were injured, whatever. But these teenage girls also sort of took the, the course of history and gave it a good flip. Right? That's amazing. So the, the, the quantity of source material on Joan of Arc is, we, obviously, there's many podcasts about them. They're very good. You should go listen to them. I went to this book. <gasps> this book is called Joan of Arc, A History by Helen Castor. I'm going to hand this to my friend, Lauren. Thank she can you. flip through it. I can see that this is indeed called Joan of Arc. By the way, this reminds me, I did try to find Joan of Arc beans to bring tonight because there are beans. cans of Joan of Arc beans in the store and oh. they did not have them at the Whole Foods. But this reminds <laughs> me of that because it has a similar label. It has the logo. <laughs> That's her. That's her. And this book is especially great. And one of the things that intrigued me about this book over others is that Helen Castor set the stage for Joan's arrival in as vivid detail as she does her life from the point that she enters the story to when she's executed, which I really loved because I didn't have a lot of context. I was like, right. I, I don't know a lot about French history in general, and I'm going to need a primer. And this girl, this book is like 300 pages long. Joan, don't turn up to like page 91. I'm just so excited. Here's, here's my plan. This bitch is so remarkable and so interesting, and there is so much going on. I am going to tell you my favorite hills. I'm going to give the whole story, but I'm going to pause and stop and highlight the stuff that I think is the hilfiest stuff. I have extra napkins. You don't have to worry about getting brought, my microphones greasy. <laughs> you tell Stanley that you can come over. You can, stay, you can use oh those <laughs> Oh, Joan of Arc's coming over later. Did you hear? Oh, she is so interesting. Well, she doesn't serve steaks, though. It's still too She's soon. Nothing on a shikabob. <laughs> <laughs> we meet our friend Joan near the end of the Hundred Year War. Now, the Hundred Year War was in 116 years. They lied. And, and of course, they don't call it the Hundred Years War. Like, we didn't call World War One. World War One, because we were like, this is the war to end all. I'm sorry, it's just the first in a oh, series. We're just oh, getting warmed God. up. Oh, no. Right. And we are entering this Hundred Years War, you and I in this hill, at about year 92. Oh, that's we long are in the tooth. We are near the end of this fucking thing. Everyone's fucking tired. This war's on a walker. Oh, that's right. And the bottom line with the Hundred Years War is it's, it's England versus France for who is the rightful king of France. And most of this horseshit that gets all stirred up in the Middle Ages and before and since, let's be honest, is the result of no heir to a royal throne, a contested heir to a royal throne. There was no heir to France for a hot minute. The king died, didn't have any sons, didn't have any brothers. And it was like, uh oh. And the king of England was like, you know, my great grandmother was half French. Sounds to me that count? like it's me. And France was like, bullshit. So that was the last 92 years was this sort of like pseudo claim. Presently, again, as you and I enter this history in the 92, 92th year of the 100th <laughs> year war, um, we are in a, another pickle. It's gotten further complicated because of a mad air there's always a mad one man. we got a mad one we've dude. seen this on game of thrones we know how this goes oh there is so much game of thrones in this honey you were gonna find thrones all over this thing it's like they set up shop so the mad king he's king charles the sixth of france and when i say mad girl you would think that as the king they'd be like he's uh touched he's having a hard time he's uh eccentric girl he yeah. was out for a ride in the woods one day and just killed all of his attendants just <laughs> That's like me on the way to work sometimes. I get I that, but I don't. Anyway. And if you're king, yeah. 
Like, and you're already been called a mad king. He's like, well, you know what? Like, carte blanche. You want to see some mad? And they'd be like, oh, your majesty, your majesty. <laughs> they'd sort of like talk him away for a while. And then it would be his wife and whom t- that is now the mouthpiece of the king, which again, you know, from your Game of Thrones is the most important actual figure in any government is the one who's advising the king and then the one who is speaking for and the king. And there's no question about who's going to be king next. King Charles VI has a son, the Dauphin, the prince. He's definitely, he's alive. He's, he's ready. Well, to go. He's going to be the king. When the king's dead, he's going to be king. We know that. They're fitting the crown already. They're getting all ready. We're just like, who's the little finger? And so we've got the Mad King's uncles, like maybe me. His name is the Duke of Burgundy. And then we've got his brother, the Louis of Orleans, who's like me. And he's kind of with the queen and they're doing the thing. There's some fucking meeting in Paris. It's convoluted. It doesn't matter. But all the parties are there. And John, the Duke of Burgundy, fucking kills Louis of Orleans in the middle of Paris. Has him assass- He doesn't do it himself. He just has him assassinated. That's why they have a new Orleans now. Because the old one was, was covered in dead guys. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the uh, people are like, there's not even a mystery about it. They're like, hang on a hot minute. Did you kill him? And he was like, like yeah. for sure. Hi, we, we, want some burgundy wine? Because he was like, he was a piece of shit. He was a tyrant. He was trying to wrestle the power from the king. Trust me, what I did was not for myself. It was to protect France from this awful tyrant. But you get you a sharp ass division that was already happening between the Armagnacs oh. there on the Louis of Orleans side. Or they're at least like not Burgundy. And then you have the Burgundies. So there is, at the end of the Hundred Years' War, a civil war in France between the Burgundies and the Armagnacs over this like bloody assassination that the Duke of Burgundy does. And it keeps going. And these fucks just keep kind of fighting. Well, they're still fighting the English, but fighting each other. And the Burgundies take Paris. Paris was kind of, and there's this crazy bloodbath in Paris. They are like, spies on the inside like loyal to the burgundies leave the gates open the burgundies come in and then the in the city the people turn on their neighbors and it's just Ugh. broken bodies and blood in the streets this is freaking and me out for modern day america totally, PS, girl, by the way yeah. i'm already like oh who's the burgundy oh, oh get you a pen we are gonna learn a lot tonight Ugh. this is so nuts they they have to um secret away the dauphin because they don't know what the fuck these guys are up to he's right. in his pjs he's a teenager and they get him the fuck out of paris and now the burgundies in the armac although everyone can't help but notice the burgundies are awful sweet on the english all of a sudden Uh-oh. and is this some kind of goddamn double cross so now it's the english slash burgundy side because the burgundies are like look this is probably how this is gonna go so they plan a meeting a date on a bridge the young, so French, so romantic. Totally. Everybody's checked it out, made sure it's secure. The rules of engagement are clear. Blah, blah, blah. And they meet in the middle of the bridge. And the Duke of Burgundy, you know, because this is his king, yeah. right? Gets down. And they put a fucking axe in the back of his head and kill the Duke of Burgundy, a.k.a. John the Fearless. Wow. Okay. Wow. So John and the Fearless, axe. the Duke of Burgundy's, his brains are pouring out in the middle of this bridge. Her. All shit brain slows. Now, the dolphin is ushered away. He didn't do it himself. It was one of his people, but that was the plan. The king, the mad king, the Burgundies have been sort of taking care of him. He pulls a huge trigger. Check out what happens after this. King Charles VI, the mad king, Mm -hmm. is like, he's done. He's dead to me. He will not inherit my throne. Guess who will? The king of England, Henry. Basically, I'm done. When I'm dead, the person who takes the throne of France is Henry, the current king of England. And to seal the deal, I'm going to give Catherine, my oldest daughter, 
the Dauphin's sister is going to marry the King of England. That's going to go great. And then they're going to have a baby. And that baby will be the undisputed heir of both France and England. Because it's my grandson and the King of England's son. And we can all have peace. And nobody was really happy. And yet, it is peace. Yeah. But the Dauphin is like, fuck. Then the baby's born. Oh, jeez. And it's a boy. Fuck. Come on. So now we know it's fucking everything is happening. And it's like, this fuck me. Unreliable. And France is over. Yeah. Right. But pre-IVF choosing baby sex times, you can't Duh. just be like, my whole Duh. kingdom's going to be based on this baby. Dang it. Dang Where's the veg veg? But then, those little nuggets, those healthy little nuggets. Just when you think, just when you think. 1422. The king of England, Henry, who's just had a healthy baby boy, goes out for a, a horseback ride, gets the fever, and fucking dies. And four days later, Charles dies. Fuck, right? So the king France fucking dies, is dead. King of England is dead. So now we all thought we had figured this shit out. We thought we had just fucking hammered this shit out. And now we didn't know who was going to be king. Now we've got the teenage dauphin who was disowned by his father and half of France hate him and a nine-month-old Baby, put the, uh, put a little tiny sword in that baby's hand and let's get yeah. to that. I have my money on that baby. I have <laughs> been around nine with old baby and they, <laughs> they don't sleep. They rule. <laughs> Undoubtedly. Just the cry alone can cripple oh a country. God. Oh my God. Um, but this, now I was like, fuck. Now here we are again with just contested fucking right. And the, and the Armagnacs and the Burgundies are still fighting. And the English, and the Dauphin is in the south of France just fucked and yet technically he's king now all the armagnacs are like when king charles the sixth dies king you are king charles the seventh that's how it was supposed to go that's how it all was and so some people were like he's the king but he can't get into these towns to, to get cornered and it's not going to work and the pope isn't going to jump in there yet until everyone works this out because the pope's already in a fucking bind because He's got two Catholic nations fighting each other. And the Pope was like, you know who God wants to win? Who does God want to win? That's the question, isn't it? God, who does God want to win? Well, the line. clearly, God wants whoever wins to win. Okay, all right. And that is a fucking fact, actually. Everybody goes by this. Your worthiness in God's eyes is proven in victories. If you win, you're in God's favor. And if you lose, you aren't. And that's the only demonstration we have. This isn't Convenient. a question, right? So it's not, it, it really is like, if you lost, obviously you fucked up. And these were things that the French were actually dealing with. Boy, we really seem to have lost a lot. I don't think God wants us to win. And people were like, no, 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 for sure. You're 100% right that we are receiving God's displeasure because of this D Duke of Burgundy fucking axes and skulls. God's mad at France for that, but he doesn't want England. Right. Uh, what a convenient job the Pope has. Just like, oh, this happened. But God wanted it to. And also the Pope's on unsteady footing because we've been like, who's the Pope exactly? And there's been some question about who the Pope is. So the Pope is like, I just need you guys all to keep sending in your own money from all them churches. In any event, the Dauphin is sitting here in the south of France. He's fucking sad. Everything sucks. I keep hearing Dolphin, by the way, every time. If you want to picture him as a Dolphin, it's actually probably better than the way he actually looked because they only have a few portraits and a few verbal descriptions. And just the bottom line is he's an ugly weirdo. Did they hide the blowhole? Because I'm sure he had one. He had one. For he, sure. was balding. he was ugly. He Ooh. was lazy. He was stupid. <laughs> you got it exactly. So the Dauphin is sitting, he's fucking sad. Everything's awful. He isn't going to be king. He wants to be king. And like the Scotland was going to help him. And Scotland did like really well. And all the Scottish guys died. And now no. it's like nothing's working out. And they just tried to take the city and then they lost. And knock, knock. 
your majesty. There's someone. (laughs) Door opens. There's someone here to see you. She's 14. She's dressed as a boy. Yes, I'm in. (laughs) I'm in. Even better. She has six boys with her. Perfect. (laughs) I like where this is going. I'm a dolphin. And now they kind of knew she was coming because there's this other character you need to know about. Her name is Yolande. She is the dolphin's mother-in-law. She runs the fucking show. This cunt's got it locked down. She knows everybody. She's got everything. She's got goals. She's got plans. This is her son-in-law. He will be king. And we got to figure out how all this is going to go. And she is like, again, game up. Her name is Yolande. She's not messing around. She has heard about this girl. Because everyone who has encountered Joan at any point to this point is struck by her and endorses her to whatever extent they need to endorse her to get to the point where you are even able as a 14-year-old peasant girl dressed as a boy to knock on the door and to have any chance of being seen. Two or three noble lords need to be like, your majesty might want to see her. Do not turn her out. This might be worth your time. Yeah. So there had been some anticipation of her, but it was already it was kind of funny. We don't know what this fucking is. And let's not forget, much like my friend Lauren, before her audition for Mad TV, these fucks have nothing to lose. <laughs> they heard it's like, we're at rock bottom. Let's do there this. Is. I have rats in my bed at night. I got rat <laughs> mites. My cat's in the what bed. What are you going to do? Oh, I might not be king if I were to. Come on. What the I'll... fuck? So they see her. Now, they're already kind of like, eh, we don't know. We don't want to dismiss it if God is in this. You know, we don't want to be too cunty about it. But we also don't want to be simps about it either. So the very first thing they do when they bring her in is they disguise him. Because she said, God told me. I will lead his army. And so they're like, then you clearly know what he looks like and who he is if God gave you this vision. So he's sort of disguised among this room full of people. And they all fucking look the same because they're all fucking inbred assholes. But they don't put him on a throne with crown and they bring her in. And she looks and is like, there you are. And she cuts through the crowd. She goes, your majesty, my name is Joan. God told me to come and do three fucking things. One, I personally am going to lead your army in battle. Two, I'm going to take you to the coronation spot and get you officially coronated as king of France. And three, I am going to expel all of the English from all of France. Dang, she came with her mission statement. She had like her resume, a headshot. She's like, she had like a demo reel playing behind of what's going to happen. She's already fully dressed. The horse, the horse is with her for the some horse reason. Is with her, there's already she's got blood of the people she hasn't even killed yet, or somehow Amazing. splattered yeah. on her face. She's and like, I did an artist rendering. Yes. What's going to look like? Totally. And the king and everybody have the same thing that all these noble lords and everyone has sort of been whispering, which is like, right? They talk about her will, her force of character, her confidence. They just these are the phrases that everyone writes at in the witnesses. Fourteen at fourteen, as almost more importantly than that, because fourteen was less fourteen than fourteen is now. Right. At fourteen, I had um, a and space the, between my teeth because I had a, a, a palatal expander. I had a perm that burned off the back of my head. Mm. I was mm. wearing plus, I was I was plus size, but I was wearing shorts that weren't. So I just hid it by wearing them open and wore a belt and then put the shirt over. I Smart. had a lot of things going on. Acne, uh, just a lot going on. It wasn't just that she was 14. It wasn't even just that she was a woman. That's a huge deal. But we've got queens and we've got the Virgin Mary and we've got some, the women can be divinely inspired. The m- most insurmountable thing about Joan's biography is that she is a peasant. Right. Beyond all the other shit. No name. Is that no, you don't matter. Wow. And you how, you wow. are like cattled, especially to these people. It's virtually 
un, inhuman. You don't even serve us. You're, you have to be like 10 levels higher born than Joan to fucking wash my fucking clothes. So on the actor's studio, they're like, how did you get to where you are as Joan? How did you get to Joan's status? <laughs> how did you get to the door? Yeah, exactly. Amazing. And it's just because she just stood up, looked you in the eye and said this thing and spoke like she was speaking for God. So. And again, that is going to be my new technique. So like, well, God said I should be on your TV show. And they'll be like, mm, I think a lot of people on many networks are doing exactly that and right to now. tremendous success. So Yolande is like, this is great. And she feels this electricity that may or may not, whether or not you believe in miracles, that electricity is real tangible and real visible. And so Yolande is like, okay, all right, let's try this. So the next step is let's get the military guys. We are in year, let me remind you, 92 of the 100 years war. The military generals that you're going to bring in to chat with this 14-year-old peasant who has decided to not just advise, lead the army. And is she well-educated, you said? No. No. There is no education she for reads? peasants. She can recognize some prayers. So the generals, the guys who have been fighting the English for 100 years, the in innovation that they have made in the military over the last 100 years, by the way, is incredible. They, what they have seen, just to fucking live in the Middle Ages, is a bloodbath. And these fucks are in the depths of the... And everyone's like, you got to stop the war for the plague. I mean, these yeah, guys... They're like, we're pouring hot tar. They meet Joan. They go in, you know, all right, let's... <laughs> This 14-year-old peasant virgin you want, the king and queen told me to meet her, okay. And to a person, they came out in awe and saying, I will follow her. Wherever she may go. <laughs> and they train her a little bit. They build her a specialized suit of armor. They create a flag and a banner. And she's like, we have to go to Orleans. It's a city the Burgundies just took. The people are under siege. That's the place. We're going there now. So they ride there, her in all their splendor. I'm get some beads and, and a hurricane, girl. <laughs> I can't wait. And the English and the Burgundies together are like, slut, whore, you fucking heart, blah, 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 blah. And the generals and everyone are like, this is amazing. So is this where God, like the lightning or the flood or the, like, what are we going to, how's God going to show up now? And she's like, I, we're right here. We're going to charge. That's wow. God's act. And they were and like, like, yeah, we're all over. And they're like, well, we'll and they were like, mm -hmm, mm-hmm, 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 okay. And they kept saying, let's wait for a sign. This is what they kept saying in the in the court. We're going to wait for a sign. And she said, take me to Orleans and you'll see your sign. <gasps> so now they're at Orleans and mm. they're like, now where's the sign? And she goes, it's me. Get on your fucking shit and let's go. I am the sign. And they charge. And the Burgundies are like, what the fuck? She gets shot by an arrow through her collarbone. She goes down. She gets the fuck up and keeps charging, and they take Orleans. Wow. So she's like, you don't need to sign. I'm already your sign. I'm your Come sign. On. Like, that is, I want to have that energy with sign. every audition interview. Like, I, I am your sign. I'm your sign. I'm already here. You're welcome. You're welcome. So they take Orleans. Fucking amazing. The next town they go to, same fucking thing, except they don't mock her. But they charge, she gets fucking shot, she gets fucking up. Again? They fucking take the town. The I next heard town. The country, maybe I can help. Yeah, Come on. Right? The next town they go to, Lauren, the English retreat. They're like, oh my God, she's fucking coming. Run. Not kidding. They retreat. She pursues the retreat. The English, again, they, we've been doing this for 100 years. Like, okay, so when they retreat, what you do is you get down into the ditches and you wait. And then when, the re, when they come, you launch on them. And that's the plan. And the English are down. But all of a sudden, a majestic stag lunges onto the path, alerting Joan to their presence, and they turn on the English, and they capture 
the retreating English. Wow. She's like, no retreat. I'm here. These victories are fucking incredible. They are unlikely. No one was even remotely fucking thinking about possibly attempting any of this shit a month ago. She knocked on their fucking door in February, right? We are now in June. She comes back and she's like, all right, buddy, get on your horse. We're going to go get you coronated. Now, it's still some rough road. She's still like, 14 at this point. She hasn't turned. 14, 15. I think she's still 14, 15. I mean, and she's like, get on your horse, she's bud. Like, before my prom, we got to do this. <laughs> we got to do this before I start bleeding. Because yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. this is like very complicated yeah, to get exactly. this armor off. She's like, we got to get you coronated, girl. So go. And it was like, ay, yeah, yeah. I feel like we're maybe a little ahead of ourselves here because I've got to go through real contested, dangerous territory. She's like, God, it doesn't fuck around. Get your shit on your horse. We're going. So she arrived in February. He's coronated in July. Oh my God. Check one, check two. I'm going to, I'm personally going to lead your army to victories and I'm going to get your ass coronated. Three, let's get these English fucks out of here. Takes out her retainer. Hey, guys, look what's going to happen, okay? Mm -hmm. First of all, 7 a.m. at my locker. Don't be late. (laughs) Okay, so the coronation happens. And this is when, as a historian, the really predictable part happens. The unpredictable part, I told you. He's fucking died, then the other king fucking dies four days later, and Joan runs the thing. Those are the things that curl your toes the hill, the part that you're like... (gasps) All courage and surprise. Yeah, you're like, oh, my God, history is so fucking interesting. For every one of those, you get uh, 10,000 of these. King Charles VII has been coronated and would like to just pump the fucking brakes. Joan, we don't need to expel all of the English. Let's take care. And she's like, "Mm, let's go. And he's, no. And then he kind of gives her missions. Okay, of course, everyone knows how important you are. So, of course, if you want to go. And she does, she settles a few squirmishes here and there. And she goes, he sends her out to get some guy. And and she's like, we need to get the fucking English out of France, man. I think I was clear. And she gets some volunteers and he's like, she's like, we got to get Paris. Paris is next. Paris is the bloodbath. The Burgundies took it. Paris is next. That's where you technically need to be coordinated to be like coordinated, coordinated. So like that's where we're going next. And he's like, okay, girl, if that's go ahead and get the guy. And Joan starts to lose. <gasps> and she has one of those encounters. I think you and I recognize very well, which is you've done this. You've done this. You've done this. You've yeah. done it four times. I know what I'm doing. They're behind yes. you now. I have the I did it. And you rush in and they don't retreat and they don't open the gates and you can't get in. And so she screams to heaven and then nothing happens. And then she gets shot and she sits and she keeps screaming until she's hoarse to God to help and to for them to commanding them. And it's all of a sudden it's a 14 year old girl on her knees in a field. And it's like, uh oh. And her generals and her soldiers take her and she heals. And then she goes back and she gets back on her horse and she tries again. And they can't quite, and the, the cities aren't opening and it's not working. And then they go one more city and they outnumber and they think they're going to be okay. And they chart and Joan does her thing. And the Burgundies open up a little hole for her. Uh-oh. She comes in, they close it up because she's very predictable. <sighs> and they capture Joan of Arc. So ninth grade right there. So ninth grade. Also, I just want to mention this, that right before this, there was word of a girl who had heard voices from God. Her name is Catherine de la Rochelle. Oh, no. And she has heard from God that she knows how to make peace between the Burgundies and the Armagnacs. And King Charles VII comes to Joan and asks her, what do you think about this? 
So there's another girl. It's like, mm-hmm. so I also can talk to God. So mm-hmm. like, it's cool that she's doing her thing, but like, God's also God's like, like even And like, if me. you've heard our episode from the Salem Witch Trials, you're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. And Joan says, tell her to go back to her housework. <laughs> I literally listened to your Salem Witch Trials on the way here because I'm did. not done with it yet because I, I keep like piecing it out when I need, I need it, when I need it. And uh, yeah, you're right. Teenage girls will devastate a community, <laughs> a world, a lifetime. And they skip their ass home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, check yourself for these teenage girls. Like, don't let, don't let. And you probably already fry. know it. Get a French fry. Gotta have French fry. Okay. So Joan, <laughs> so Joan is captured by the Burgundies. And at first there's like a hot minute where they're like military prisoner. We don't do with military prisoners. We've been doing this a hundred years. We give you Joan. She's huge. So you're going to give us like 10 of our guys and we're going to maybe do a thing. And very quickly they're like, no, 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 no. You will send her to be tried as a heretic. Never good. Mm-mm. And not good in 2022, 20, not good in 1430 girl. Mm-mm. So she's in captivity. They take her to, you know, into prison. The first time she escapes, what? She shimmies through the floorboards. She Shawshanks that? And Jen? they catch her. She Tim Robbins out there? So they put her in a tall, tall tower, and she jumps her ass out the window. She Rapunzel's? Breaks her little body. Of course. She doesn't die, but it takes seven months for her to fucking heal. Because she had the short hair. Had she had the long hair, she would have <laughs> she survived figured out. the whole See, thing. These are why you have to think ahead. So seven months later, she's finally healed, and she is uh, able to go to trial, which she does in 1431 at 19. Wow, she's so old now. I know. She's like starting to like. She's not married. She doesn't have any kids. (laughs) And this is where we are taking our break. I am going face first into those fries. I'm so sorry. I was pouring while you were talking. We're probably going to empty at least one of these bottles. (laughs) (laughs) Do not go anywhere. I'm so excited. Hey, it's Christine Blackburn from Storyworthy. Every Tuesday, listen to a brand new Storyworthy with fantastic comedians like Avi Lieberman, Bruce Baum, Steph Tolov, Dawn Brody, Ed Krasnick, and Angela Johnson-Reyes. Plus, you'll hear true stories from other fantastic people like author Marion Keys, author Haley McGee. How about hearing a true story from the one and only Peter Brady, Christopher Knight, well, that's the kind of entertainment you're going to hear over on Storyworthy. So check out Storyworthy, brand new every Tuesday. And one more thing, make it a Storyworthy week. Hey, before we jump back in with Joan, be a friend of the podcast and please take a moment to subscribe, like, review, share, all that stuff. Uh, we are having a baffle first season. Lots of exciting things cooking. And it is because of you and all the love you've shown us so far. Got a favorite episode? Tell us. Did I teach you something new? Share it with a friend and then tell them how much fun it is to... When last we left, our girl Joan of Arc, shit was going south. Okay? She has been captured by the Burgundies and given to the English to be tried for heresy. Because here's the bottom line. We can't send this slut back into battle for a number of reasons. But more importantly to the English, one pope, one church, one God. What could go wrong? Okay. And you, who belong to our church and have the same pope, said God. 
told you that's bullshit and you're an ugly little slut and that was obviously the devil we don't know if you're hearing voices you're fucking crazy but there's no fucking way that our god told you that we don't get france or that he wants us to lose god told you to fucking kill us are you i mean it's a beef that's equivalent like you'd be like dad said it was okay (laughs) dad said i could have this gogurt yeah God didn't say any fucking thing like that, and and England can't have it. Everyone knew the instant Joan was handed over to the English to be tried as a heretic, that they were going to find her guilty of being a heretic. I can't believe she lasted this long. Yeah, it doesn't, everyone's like, yeah, of course. You're not going to drive, girl. You're going to be dead before 16. Right. But this is where, Lauren, one of the things that struck me most in this second part of Joan's story is the endless, tedious bureaucracy that these fucks went through to burn this cunt. They knew they were gonna burn this cunt the second they got her off her horse. And the number of meetings and councils and articles and discussions and and not, and by the way, in none of these is anyone giving a full-throated debate of not killing her or her being found innocent. It is pure papal government bureaucracy. We got to get the best minds from the University of Paris to come in here. We got to get six of them. They have to examine her, you know, which essentially lots of fingering is the bottom line here. We're just fingering. Is she a virgin? Is, does she have any nipples from which she could nurse the devil? Um, You know, and they interview her and they think, and they're scrutinizing. And it's also, mm, and there's also all of this papal scrutiny and everyone's coming in and everyone has a hedge in this game so we got to find the right douchebag to run this fuck show and they choose bishop Couchon. now lauren the only thing about this history that makes me sadder than the death of joan of arc oh god is that his name is not pronounced bishop Cockon. And I want you to know that I spent the first couple of days of the of preparing this episode so excited about Bishop Kakan. But I'm gonna to try to say it every time in a way that you can in your own brain make it Kakan or Dushan, but you're already thinking of the right idea. This guy sucks. He sucks bad. He's been sucking forever. He was one of the lawyers who defended John the Fearless when he killed Louis of Orleans. Check him for Satan nipples. Thing, please. You, like, and who doesn't have this little nipple hiding around him somewhere? One. So he is in charge, and he's French, which makes them feel like people won't think this is a horrible English thing, that we're not just doing it over English. So he's French, but he's a Burgundy. And he's an old, deep, loyal Burgundy that they know exactly how he's going to do his stuff. And he knows, of course, we're going to find her guilty. Of course, we're going to find her fucking guilty because she already dresses like a boy. Like, it was already done. You dress the yeah. boy and Deuteronomy says you can't dress like a boy. Yeah. So we're already done. But he doesn't want, he doesn't just want her to found guilty. It's obvious. He wants her to confess, apologize, and be humiliated. It's like the witch trials. Again, you're yeah, damned yeah. if you do, damned if you don't. Damn like, no. Whatever. Exact, he is like, it's not just that she's found guilty. It's that she is broken we need to see her cry we need to see her see her fall down we need to see her in a dress Mm -hmm. and we need to see her weeping and saying she's sorry does she have to wear a dress to get into the she's still wearing boys clothes that was the first thing they they were on her how dare you i know you also defeated a whole army but how dare you wear pants yeah but and we've already we're all in love with joan but let me just remind you she is a teenager she is alone she is the only female from the guards to the judges to the audience to the witnesses to everybody she has no education and they have not let her take mass which is fundamental for her they won't hear her confession they won't give her eucharist which is a big ass deal and you have on the other side from joan the biggest and brightest minds in the christian europe 
You have the leading elite of the University of Paris. You have all of these high theological minds and then her on her own. But and the courtroom the first day, they're all, holy fuck, right? And everyone's very excited. And this is going to take them exactly two minutes. In my mind, she comes in full chain mail, holding yeah. a sword, like perfect <laughs> little baby perfect bang. Little baby bang, baby bang, amazing. Oof. And they didn't let it do that. One of the things that's happened since the Crusades, which is, you know, give or take four or 500 years prior to this, what we've had is Thomas Aquinas and some study of God, meaning like a scientist, like Thomas Aquinas, he went back to Aristotle and he liked to like study God and the Bible from a scientific perspective. He would answer questions like, what is an angel? The question, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? was one of the questions that Sir Thomas Aquinas was asked and they asked, could you see, if you see an angel, for example, and if you say you see an angel, uh, is it with your eyes, your physical eyes, or is it with your spiritual self? And he would address it. And there's legions and books and everybody studies him. And That's like a roadside DUI test as, as well. It's like, have you, how many angels are on this pin right now? Touching Eight. Oh, perfect. Go, Let's go to jail. Go with God. What it means is there's quote unquote proof in books that are hundreds of years old at this point already that you can say if someone has seen an angel or if it was a devil and you can test these things. So the very first thing they ask her, are you in God's grace? This is a stumper. Mm. If you go to school, you know this is like the one. Because Thomas Aquinas, all these fucking books and what everyone knows is like technically no one can ever know if they are in God's grace. So if she says yes, which seems very Joan because she duh, if she says yes, boom, done, trial over because you're a heretic and you fucked that up. Nobody knows if they're in God's grace. Book, closed. Cool. And if she says no, you're not in God's grace, you're obviously with the devil. So, <clears throat> Joan, are you in God's grace? Keep in mind, she don't read Thomas Quine, she don't read shit. And she says, if I am, I hope to stay there. And if I'm not, I hope to be someday. And everyone does like NFL Sunday, like, whoa! They say what answer did the you... question you wish they asked. Mm -hmm. She did. <laughs> she did. What did you say to King Charles about your vision? What did you tell him you saw that makes you this problem? She said, God forbid me to say that to anyone but him. Wow. And they go, fuck. Yeah, and they said, go, don't and say she anything. Goes, she goes, so are you saying you are more important than God? Because... How the tables have turned. <laughs> I mean, it's God's this kind of stuff. secrecy. They ask him, what did you say to King Charles? She goes, ask him. God didn't tell him who he can tell. So if you want to know, go ask him. I mean, she is standing tall. She is answering these questions. She's so just good that they stop having public trials and they start to go ahead and do this in the privacy of her cell. Mm -hmm. But don't, but don't be mistaken. They are scribes. Everybody are writing down. What does she say? What does he, I mean, there are gazillions of transcripts of every word of every gasp of everything that mm -hmm. happened in every room. Oh yes. They need to keep this record that this is going to be contested. It's a very, they, they're fully aware of what they're doing and they're trying to Just, do it in a way that it's a celebrity trial. Like everyone, <laughs> all the paparazzi are there, yeah. the paparazzi are there. They, but they do make notes, Lauren, of stuff like, like with kindness and with love, which does paint scenes for you, which is the day they bring out the torture devices. Wait. Classic <laughs> medieval. Classic England. They bring out the tools of torture. Of which I've been to the Torture Museum of England. Mm -hmm. They really mm. did have a corner market mm. on just mm. messed they up ways to make a body bleed. Really good at this. Oh, they're so good at it. And um, Bishop Couchon, uh says, God, we love you, Joan. 
I mean, how could we not love you, our sister in God? And it is just the tragedy of you being taken by the devil like this. The tragedy of you being so fooled and so, so misguided. And we are so devastated. And we just, all we're trying to do here, all we're trying to do here, Joan, is just get you to get to heaven and to save your soul. And to do that, to be saved, you have to confess and you have to say it was a lie and you have to say it was the devil right now. And and if we can't get you to confess, then we're going to break your body with these instruments historical gaslighting instruments correct joan looks at the instruments of torture what i'm about to tell you is their account the english scribes and the judge's account this is not joan writing in her journal later saying no. she did something dope this is, again the charcuterie <laughs> platter of yes. torturing <laughs> correct and joan looks at the torture devices oh, and God. says oh no you can tear my body apart I will not tell you anything I haven't told you. I will not tell you anything different than I have told you. And if I do, I will tell them it was because you tortured me. Me and every HR I will meeting. take it back. I'll just take it back as soon, uh, you know. And they assemble a 12-person committee. <laughs> and they fucking sit and they fucking talk. Of, and they, I'm assuming men oh, of a certain man. age. Come on, they're all men, they're all rich, they're all educated, they're all holy. And they power. decide to go ahead and not use the instruments of torture oh. on Joan. Because she's like, go ahead, rip my Because wizards. they just are trying actually not to look like the brutes our history books know they are. I read you her baseball card at the top. Yes. The English get her and they burn her at the stake like a witch. And if you know anything about Joan of Arc and you know she was burned at the stake, you know it was this brutal medieval fucking thing. This is the end of the Middle Ages and these fucks are already pretty aware that there's this beastly, horrible medieval mm -hmm element to their way in this world that is changing, that is savage, that is very close, that is on the precipice of a new generation that will look at you for the savagery you are doing. And they were actually trying to put it in a briefcase and a suit and pretend it's not murder. And they get 70 articles that say she's guilty and they go ahead, that's too many. So they pare it down to 12. Guilty and then of they what? It's like, what are we? Heresy of, just in of saying you heard God's voice when you didn't. Of saying you knew you were divinely inspired when you weren't. 70 counts. Really? 70 counts, but they go ahead and they pare it down to 12. And the bottom line is, like I said, Everyone's always known. And Bishop Kuchel wanted her to confess, wanted her to abdicate, wanted her to be humiliated and to cry. And she didn't do it. And we're running out of time. So on May 23rd, they build a big pyre in the center of town. And they gather everybody around. When you see a pyre, right away, you're like, God, like, this is So she heads out. We tie her to it. Tie her hands behind her back. And Bishop Kuchel comes over and says, Joan, this is it. So here's your last chance. Say it was a lie. Say that you didn't actually hear voices. Capitulate to me. And she says, let me talk to the Pope. I would talk to the Pope. And then like, mm. he's and he goes, no, I'm the, the, the Pope has endowed us with this the power. in the bathroom yep. right now. So know. Now here's a question for you. What would you do? In that moment? Mm. Well, I'm not Joan, obviously. I, I, again, I have the strength of a person who's like, I'm, I don't like elevators. Ooh, they're so small. <laughs> so I feel like I would go all in. Like I would just be like, 
he, I would go all in if I had the strength of Jonah. I'm like, this is my, I'm going to repeat what, what got me here in the first place of like, power, God, you all are wrong and you will burn hell forever. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, you're getting tied to a pyre. You're like, no, I want to live. Death is burning is bad. Yeah. I can't imagine I what it would be. What I hope is that there may be something for which I would stay there and refuse it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm trying to figure, like, circumstances in which I know I wouldn't sign that fucking paper. Yeah. But here's what I do know. There's lots of circumstances in which I go, yep, oh, you fucking betcha. It is hot up here already. Yeah. You know I, mean? I mean, it's like noon is and it's just hot. Oh, the rope is a little tight. I get a little pinchy. I feel yeah. like being burned alive is just going to do terrible things for my skin. Well, I want you to buckle up. You got your champagne? Uh, I, oh, yeah, let me fill it. Oh, God, I've got it. Because Joan signs it <gasps> and cries. And they take her down. She says, I will wear boys' clothes. I don't know the source of my voices. And I'm sorry. I want to stop here because when I read this in the book, I cried. I gasped. I couldn't believe I screamed out loud, what? I stood up. I turned to the circle and I sat down like I was reading fucking Gone Girl. Because you invested in her. You love her. You And I know this isn't what happens. Right. So now it's a fucking page turner too because I'm like, wait. How's it end? Oh, wait, I know how it is. So they cut her down and I'm devastated and the crowd is devastated. And the crowd is devastated. Half of them are devastated because they wanted to watch this slut burn today. And the other half is devastated because no, they actually broke her. They actually did it. They broke her. They made her do the thing, the thing she didn't do. Fuck. They take her back to her cell and three days later they call up the bishop and they're like buddy she's wearing boys clothes again and they were like a number one is that you said you'd start wearing fucking women's clothing she's she goes yes i did i have a skirt i have a skirt it's combat boot come on and she's like listen you said because she had an idea she can't read and she was like so i'm going to go to some church basement somewhere where i'm just going to pray every hour for the rest of my life it sounds better than burning today (laughs) and she said, you said if I put on women's clothes, I could go to mass. And I put on the women's clothes and I, they didn't take me to mass. And it is inappropriate for me to wear women's clothes when I'm surrounded by men. I went to TJ Maxx. I got this little yeah. <laughs> outfit. And she's like, I won't. I won't do it. And also she says, I didn't understand what I was signing. And the voices are mad at me. And they are telling me that I saved my body and compromised my soul. So if you're telling me that you're not going to let me do the thing that I wanted to do, then put me back on the fucking stake. And seven days later, they bring her back. And she they read the thing. They call her a, a, a relapsed heretic. And it's bad. And it means you have a capital, capital crime. And they, quote, say to her, like a dog returning to its vomit. Of which they do. Like, you have to you like, know your dog. And the here. thing is, you're like, that is so good because it is as true as anything in the Bible. And, ugh. and uh, she asks that they hold a cross up for her to see, which they do. And she burns to death. And after she burns, they rake all of her ashes so that you cannot see a human form. And they dump them unceremoniously into the Seine. Then the first thing that the English do is make a pamphlet. And you know how hard it is to make a pamphlet in like 1456? 
It's hard. You got to drag like 18 bars of gold down there just to get 15 copies. You guys like, I'm sorry, we're Ugh. out of toner right now. <laughs> sorry, like we have magenta, but sorry. it'll look weird. But they send out this pamphlet that is basically like, we burned that bitch. She was a heretic. She was, And real specific. Again, this bureaucracy is paying off for them. She saw three devils and they were these kinds of devils and they led her to this. And we couldn't purify her, her soul, but her body was purified in the secular government and just let this be a lesson to everybody. And oh, by the way, can we just like stop for a minute and be like, dumb French followed a heretic teenager. Can we all just like underline, 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 underline how stupid our enemies were for even considering that she was anything? You know, you get it. One of the first things that happens though, again, 100 years war, England v. France, we're going to get back to the old war we're used to and they bring this boy, can remember the nine-month-old baby? He is now They like bring him, two? now Joan is dead. They bring him through to get his proper coronation Boy. in Paris. And the Burgundies are like, okay, this was our deal. We got our English king. And you want to have a king owe you a favor, girl. In addition to just being like, I'm the mouthpiece, I'm the influencer, is like, he needed me. I did something for the king. Like, these are why these fucks do this shit, right? And they're like very excited. And the English come in for this big coronation. And like, the party sucks. And the food is bad. And they're super rude. And by the end of the night, and they literally... that wedding, trust me. Honestly, in history, the number of things they say that are like, this food is terrible. is like so fundamental. That by the end of this fucking party... The Burgundy French are like, ugh, we hate these English fucks. We might have fucked up. And they were rude. Like, they're rude. The the the, the royals are rude to the French, um, and they're rude to the papacy. And they're just like, God, this isn't actually going to be great for us at all. They didn't, like, say a lot of things. We didn't hear as many uh, mercies as we were hoping Merci for. Beaucoup. And at the same time, Yolande, Yolande, remember her? I remember Yolande. That bitch. Her she, name's like, girl. She does major right-sizing over there. <laughs> in the French court. And she, there's this guy like the Dauphins. He's the king now, but I like to say Dauphin. King how Charles many years has gone by now? Like how old is that? Like it's, it's only been a few, like two years. Oh my God. Totally. She, oh. she goes to trial when she's 19. So it was like four years okay. from them meeting her to her going on trial. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Crazy. So Yolande, she doesn't love the way the king has been arranging the court and she just cleans house. Check this. She, in the middle of the night, sends assassins to kill his current best friend, right-hand favorite advisor, because she just doesn't like him, doesn't like the way he's advising. He's so fat that they stab him a bunch and it doesn't kill him. He's like, oh, And the king wakes cramp. up and he makes a big noise. And the king wakes up and the queen is like, he was trying to kill you. He is a traitor. We're taking care of it, baby. Go back to bed. The king goes back to bed. We don't know exactly what happened to this guy. And his new best friend, right-hand guy, is Yolan's son. You're wow. welcome. Can't wait for you two to be best friends. Wow. She does a few of these strategic... Another reason to be fat. Just say that. <laughs> Pack it on. You I can't know. get stabbed so quick. So then we have the Burgundies are like, we are hungry and we are cold. And like the English are not actually supplying and they're not protecting the towns that they had secured militarily. So the Burgundies are like going to England and they're like, hey, 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 hey. we are fucking hungry. And it's like the worst winter in forever. And they're just not seeing the tangible benefits of this whole alliance okay the winter is so cold and so nuts and so much snow the burgundies come back to town and the people have made a lot of sculptures oh of joan <gasps> so they come home empty-handed to the people loving this joan and yolande knows it and charles the seventh knows it and there's this committee. So now things, resources are, are slight. We're running out of fucking money. So the powers that be, which is France, 
Armagnacs, France, Burgundy, and England. The three powers meet in this city, kind of hammer things out. Because we are, again, with our toes over the new age. We're leaving the medieval. Let's talk. Yeah. So they get to this town. And basically what happens, Lauren, is the Burgundies and the Armagnacs are like, Mon ami, je and the, and the English are like, yeah. And it is a Burgundy-Armagnac love fest. And the English are like, oh my God. And real third wheel. And they're not liking this. This is obviously bad. Because we're going back to the days where there's a unified France against fucking England. And Charles VII realizes that having a convicted heretic as the one who helped get him to the throne. I feel like there was no way that Charles VII was having a conversation of more than three minutes with anyone where somebody wasn't like, what was the fucking deal with Joan? What'd she look like? What's she say to you? Was she cool? Did she glow? She had bangs. Could you see the angels? He couldn't separate himself from this. The bottom line is he was sitting as a sad sack in some dark ass castle ready to cash it all in when she showed up. And it's the fact and it's been documented and he's like, shit. He should have recognized her hype girl when he had her. Like, come on, man. Honest to God. So he, you know, after getting everybody unified, he is officially coronated in Paris. The the Armagnacs and the Burgundies are like, Paris is now French. And that means, girl, that we now have like more of Joan's prophecies, more of Joan's goals are like continuing to materialize. And Charles VII starts to realize that this is like a good thing. So he writes a letter to the Pope. And he says, hey, Pope, surely you remember this whole business with Joan of Arc. I would like an investigation into the trial. I want her retried, basically, and I want to uh, prove that this was politically motivated and that it was all a fucking sham. The Pope agrees and sends a couple of his official people down there. Now you have a second trial for Joan of Arc. The first trial, foregone conclusion, she's she's a heretic, we're going to kill her. Second trial, foregone conclusion, she's going to be acquitted. So we, as a historian perusing these records, one must address this and know this going in. But this is where we start to get some, when she was burning, a dove blew out of her heart. She did ask to see the Pope. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't let her. her. And that was a they last didn't let minute. her. Mm-hmm. They didn't let her have her mass and her Eucharist. They did actually. This is a fascinating point. That when she finally burns, they give her the Eucharist right before. This is used now as part of the acquittal process because they were like, so they gave a heretic Eucharist before they burned her, like in the quiet of her cell, and as like a last sort of request, they blessed. So they blessed a devil. Yeah. Like what the fuck was up there? The, her mom is there i forget that she has parents or people like in my mind she's a she just got blasted onto the planet really human stories honestly about the boys used to make fun of her because every time the church bells would ring she'd fall to her knees and pray like whenever they were playing she had a best friend who was super sad when she left there was the guy who rang the bell every day to remind people to pray was like she was so great because if i forgot to do it she would like scold me but she didn't wasn't mean she'd be like i will bring you treats if you remember tomorrow like you were late today but if you're on time tomorrow i'll bring you treats these are the good stories these are the good stories and these the things that humanized her you know what i mean and made her i mean not that the court needed her to be because they were already going to acquit her biblical she's a girl yeah so she is acquitted in 1456 25 years after she's dead she's not guilty i'm great and you're welcome among the things that makes this crazy I am do not count myself among the faithful, as I've said in previous episodes, and I try to speak with as much respect as I as I can. I don't want to sound like I'm ridiculing any religion, but I can't pretend that some of it doesn't seem 
ridiculous from the outside. Lots of people have died in the name of God. Lots and lots of murdered in the name of God. Mm. But the trick is, and what among the things that makes Joan of Arc's story so interesting, is that we have a lot of martyrs in Christian and Catholic um, stories. A martyr, of course, is an individual who was murdered for their faith, for something they are saying within a religious context. And the pagans martyred a lot of Christians. A lot of your early saints were martyred because the pagans were like, quit saying that Zeus isn't, you know, and then absorbed those horrible practices to not to, to be too highlighted. But of course, the figure of Christ himself executed, they wear the method of his execution yeah. as their Simple. primary uh, outward symbol. Joan of Arc is a martyr of the Catholic Church, who is then canonized as a saint by the Catholic Church. There are not a lot of saints. I tried to look into it, and the bottom Does line is, the saint there's a lot of fucking saints, and there's also saints that they like change their mind, and then they're not saints anymore. But the, at my research could find a handful, maybe, of saints that were martyred by the church that, that later canonized them. And in like, 19... Sorry about it. Here's some sainthood for the murder. And it's 1920. Over 500 years after her death, there has been an incredible movement to, to recognize her as a saint. Um, some of the irrefutable evidence uh, includes a bunch of nuns that were terminally ill and then prayed to her and then they were healed, among other things. Anyway, they uh, uh, canonize her. She is Saint Joan. Her feast today is May 30th. And of course, she will... She will be among France's favorite saints forever. And we today will probably never stop researching her. <laughs> Before I make kind of a closing point, do you have any questions? I really do. Okay, bring it. Bring I have it, some feelings it. and questions because I came in again knowing bottom basement barrel, like fifth grade knowledge of her and right. Bill and Ted's excellent and Bill <laughs> Right. Um, I just feel like the whole, I, I, if I existed in that time where God is the ruler mm. of your kingdom, I'm like, yeah, God said, again, it's mom, mom said I'm allowed to have chocolate babysitter. My mom, before you left, she, you weren't here. Mm. You weren't here when she said it. But yeah. mom said I'm allowed to have chocolate after midnight. <laughs> mm -hmm. I would totally be like, God said. It's the most like passive aggressive gaslighty. Like, yeah, it's so no. fascinating, isn't it? And I think that. It, several things happened that at this point that made that sort of logical. Like we, you and I sit here in our time and place and just wonder why you wouldn't just make it up. And I think there's several things. One is everyone's illiterate. It's certainly around Joan, yeah. which means your language and what you say is your only form of communication. It's the only thing anyone will ever know about you. So what you say is so important. And lying is a mortal sin and their belief in the real literal divine world meant you don't lie or you go to hell. So if somebody's saying something, it must be true. They wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. Right. And in the off chance that either you are lying or the devil is talking to you is why they did this scrutiny that we, of course, are scrutinizing now, which is looking for extra nipples, but right. also things like... I'm always looking for extra nipples. Extra That's nipples. my whole jam. But also the duration of time that Joan... It's a short period of time, as you pointed out. It's like That's five short. or six years. But it is long enough in intimate quarters under an incredibly diverse number of circumstances that if there was an ulterior motive beyond what she said, it would have been plain. From getting there to the battles 
to all those nights. I mean, I know it was fast. You'd say two years, but that's her length of high that's school. Two years, but that's six hundred. Length yes. was like I changed right. the world and I died at the stake. Totally length that's of high school, good. but not even. I mean, if you her say it was two years, and it's easy to look at it like oh, it was fourteen, fifteen to fourteen, seventeen. It was two years, no big deal. That was no time. That is six hundred and fifty nights that she went to bed close next to these individuals, bleeding and recovering and mourning and helping. She was, that she didn't just say to them that I'm full of shit. Three that she times. didn't let some Three slip. times she was stabbed and yeah. run through. That she didn't get a hand job or just like get drunk or say, there was never, she never, ever, ever deviated from what she said. And I feel like I have my own ulterior. As I said, I'm not faithful. I don't count myself among the faithful. And so some of Joan's motivations are difficult for me to understand. But I will do her this justice and believe her. I'm not going to try to figure out what she didn't say or what she was trying to say or where the deception was or who was the man who was motivating her or what was. I am going to count myself among the people who met Joan and walked in with some scrutiny and some suspicion and walked away saying, I buy it. That's why she is Joan. Mm. History. I like that. <laughs> if she's into that, which I don't know if she that. is. If she consents and if, if I can get in... that goddamn armor off. Oh, and if you're looking, if you're not done, you're just like, oh. <gasps> Oh my God, that Joan of Arc story. I just want more. I want more. What do I do? I don't read Dawn. I'm not going to read your book, Dawn. Let's be honest. Where do I go next? Let me tell you about it, the movie you should go watch. The Messenger, starring Mila Jovovich, John Malkovich. It's great. You got Yolanda is in it. She's got her hair all back. I purposely John didn't Malkovich watch it. John so Malkovich is good. Go, now you can go watch it okay. because it's great. Here's one of the things. Mila Jovovich is especially great because she's like babelicious babe. She's got the stare of God. Uh, Dustin Hoffman? What? It's trippy and beautiful and really accurate. Like you'll recognize if you really clued into this and you were like sucking this hilf off your fingertips, you're going to recognize the scene where she goes into the court and they make her find him in the crowd. That's a beautifully portrayed scene in the movie. They represent her visions in a really beautiful and intense way. And they even at the end of the movie outline her doubt. Wow. They give her a suitable amount of like, you get to watch her crumble and it's devastating. And she's got the eyes for it. She's got that like, I'm crumbling mm. eyes. It's Ooh, so good. Yeah, and you're like, really? Nobody wanted to fuck her? <laughs> but I no. think they did, but she was like, no thanks. Yeah. And if you really smoke enough weed and you watch The Messenger followed by uh, Resident Evil, oh, you can have some fantastically colored visions of just Joan of Arc killing some zombies and you can do your own mashup in your imagination. It can be because that's how she reincarnated. If that's the thing that the Catholic faith does, <laughs> I don't know. I think if the Catholic Church burns you at the stake, you get like a I want to come back as right. a like. I was gonna say if you, if your faith burns you at the stake, is your faith done? Or are you still like no? It's all good. I'm still going. I mean, if you really want to go there, girl, arguably because she burned at the stake, she got the third part of her thing because her thing was right. I'm going to lead your army in victory. I'm going to get you coordinated in, in Paris as the official King of France. We're going to drive the English out of France. The Burgundies and the Armagnacs join forces and expel the English out of France after her death and arguably because of it. So did the martyring of Joan of Arc make that happen? Fulfill her mission. Ashes to ashes. Dust to dust. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren Pritchard, that has been the hilth of Joan of Arc. I had a blast. Thank you. I had, I, I'm riveted. I'm full of champagne and fries and riveted. <laughs> I just love you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Will you come back? Of course. Anytime. Viva. Oh.
La France. <rire> Merci beaucoup. <rire> Au revoir, mon ami. Au revoir. Oh, thank you again to my guest, Lauren Pritchard. I can still feel a little tickle of champagne on my nose. <laughs> Très bien. Um, and listener, you must know that there was so much more you didn't hear. Lauren and I debate Joan's sexual identity, the pros and cons of zealots, and, and how this all led to Benedict Arnold. <laughs> what? You might be asking, why, why, why did I get to hear that? Come on, Dawn, now I feel left out. <laughs> well, don't. Okay, because there are delectable little nuggets from virtually every episode that hit the cutting room floor for various reasons, but they are not gone. I will conclude this season with the Hilf Orgy, a compilation of edits and outtakes that will give you the full frontal on all the Hilfs of yore. <laughs> but not yet. Um, my next episode is going to be so special. Um, the subject is the Iranian Revolution, and my guest is my 74-year-old neighbor and Iranian immigrant from the revolution, Zari Farapur. She is sharp and funny and classy and beautiful, and she loves the word fuck, so <laughs> you will not want to miss it. <laughs> Until then, this has been Hilf. History, I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody, reminding you that history is a party and everybody's coming. Fuck.